0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke.
1: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. The door is narrow. He said that in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. What does he mean by that? Well he means that there's not multiple ways to get to God. That is a lie that you hear all the time. Every path, all paths lead to God. No, they don't. There's only one path that leads to God, it's through Jesus Christ his Son. And Jesus said it in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth. You've
0: probably heard lots of voices telling you that there are many different ways that you can have a relationship with God. But while God can use lots of different avenues to speak to your heart, Jesus may be only true way for you to be made right with God. Today, Pastor Gary shares that our culture doesn't want to believe that there's only one way to God, but Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the light, not just one of many options. If you want to get to God you need to go through Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: He says there in verse 8, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. There is a day of reckoning. That God is just, and it's not like there's an endless amount of time with God. He's patient. He is long-suffering. He wants none to perish, but there is a day of reckoning, and so there is a day of judgment, and so he's just as well as patient and loving. Well, verse 10 says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bounder? And when he had said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. So we have here uh, an interesting scene of a dear woman who for 18 years has been in this crippled condition. The Bible says she's bent over, she can't straighten up. So she, I mean, picture someone just, you know, completely bent over at the waist. And uh, it tells us here, and this is interesting language, it says that she had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. They have a King James Bible it says a spirit of infirmity. Now the question becomes then, is she possessed? Is that how, you know, a demon is affecting her in this way? Because it speaks here about a spirit, It talks in King James about a spirit of infirmity. Jesus even mentions Satan is involved in this down in verse 16. But we have to be careful here because it's not really an indication to us that she's possessed, as in the fact that some demon has come inside of her and is controlling her from the inside. Now, some, you know, pastors, teachers, Bible professors, whatever, they will try to convince you that this is a scene here where a Christian, because she's a daughter of Abraham, a believer. I don't know that she's actually a believer. She's obviously a devout Jewish follower here. I don't know that she's a believer in Jesus. It doesn't specifically say this, calls her a daughter of Abraham. But some will make the argument that this is an example of how a Christian can, in fact, be demon-possessed. But please note with me, there is no reference here that anything was ever cast out of her. In fact, the word that Jesus uses here is healing, healing. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. This is a healing here. It's interesting also that it says that in verse 13, Jesus put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up. Never once in the four gospels when Jesus delivered anyone from a demon, did he ever lay hands on them. For a very good reason, because demons can transfer. So never should you lay hands on someone that you suspect to be demon-possessed. You can pray over them. You can ask in the name of Jesus for God to deliver them. And Jesus always spoke the word, and demons would be delivered from people who were demon-possessed. But he would never, ever lay hands on them. There's not a single record of Jesus ever laying hands on a demon-possessed person. He spoke the word, and they were delivered. That's not the same here. He lays his hands on this dear woman. He heals her. There's nothing that is cast out. There's no conversation. Remember the demoniac at Gadara where Jesus converses with the demon that is possessing this guy. And he casts them out. They talk to him. There's none of that here. Okay? Now, having said that, it is clear, however, that the work of Satan is behind her physical ailment. Again, we can't make arguments and draw out these extrapolated theological ideas where, okay, well, here's a case where an illness is related to something demonic. Does that mean that all illnesses is related to something demonic? No, that's not what it means. Some of the things in the Bible we read are not to be interpreted as patterns They can be singular events that are isolated situations. This is one of them. This woman here, her physical condition was related to some kind of spiritual issue where Satan, though he didn't possess her or demons possess her, there was still something oppressive where he, Satan, had done something to affect this woman physically such that she's hunched over, bent at the waist, and she is in need of healing. And that's what Jesus does with her. He brings healing to her body. And he uh, looses her so that she can be physically well here. Now, I don't even know that she's done anything to invite this. This is perhaps an attack much the same way that Job was attacked. Did Job suffer physically? For those of you who know the story of Job, did Job suffer physically though he was not possessed by Satan? Yes? Yes. Job suffered physically. And really it's for our benefit so we can have the book of Job to realize what happens in the heavenly realms that are unseen to our eyes. But God gave Satan limited permission to afflict Job so that Job would pass this test and be an example of righteousness in the midst of adversity and hardship to serve as a good example for us to persevere. But we know, because we have the book of Job, to realize that what was happening was God was allowing Satan to have some limited freedom there with Job, and part of what Satan did was afflict Job physically. And that's a similar thing happening here. This woman's not possessed by a demon, but she's certainly been physically afflicted by one, or Satan himself. Now, the issue then is, the ruler here becomes indignant, the ruler of the synagogue, He's like, you know, this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be working on Sabbath. And they had all these strict rules. And we talked on and on about all these strict Sabbath rules. So I'm not going to belabor it again. Uh, But Jesus basically responds. He calls them hypocrites. Hypokrites. Two Greek words. Hupo meaning under. Krites meaning to judge. A hypocrite is someone who underjudges himself or herself and overjudges everybody else. Can't see your your own sinfulness all oh, you're busy looking at is everybody else's sinfulness. Uh, and so Jesus says, calls them, you hypocrites. And he says, you know, listen, if you have an ox that needs a drink of water, you untie the ox from the stable and you take the ox to drink some water, right? On a Sabbath? He says, so, listen, if you're being that generous to an animal, should you not be more generous to a person? And so he's challenging them. Look, this has kept this woman bound for 18 year, long years. What what a wonderful thing that on the Sabbath she should be set free. She should be loosed. And it's an interesting play on words here because the same word that Jesus uses in verse uh, 15 where he says, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey? The word untie there also in King James is loose. Don't you loose your, your ox or your donkey? It is the same word that he uses for the woman in verse 16 When he says that Satan has kept her bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be set free? Same Greek word as untie the ox or the donkey. He says, you know how to loosen, how to set free an ox or a donkey. Isn't it much more important that you should want a woman here set free or loosened from her affliction? And when he says this, it basically shamed All the people who were opposed to him. And everybody else who loved Jesus like, this is fresh, this is wonderful. And so uh, they were delighted with all of his wonderful things that he was doing. Verse 18. And then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree. Circle that word, tree. And the birds, circle that word, of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked... What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast, circle that word, that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, I will tell you that a long time ago, the general interpretation of this was a good thing that Jesus was saying, hey, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant it and it and just the growth and the it becomes like a tree. And it's like the kingdom of God is growing and expanding and it's a wonderful thing. And birds come and perch in its branches. And in some circles, this is taught as a good thing. This is not a good thing. And how do we know he means it not to be a good thing? For a few reasons. Number one, I had you circle the word tree. A mustard seed never grows into a tree. At most, it grows into a bush. You would never see or say, there's a mustard tree. There's no such thing. You would say there's a mustard bush, there's a mustard plant, but you'd never say there was a mustard tree. So one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is going to grow into this monstrosity. Okay? that is somewhat of an anomaly that it was not intended to become. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not like the kingdom of God is to be limited. It is to be expanding around the world. But he's talking specifically about how it's going to take on a form and a shape that God didn't intend it to take in some regards. That's why he adds here about the birds and yeast. Now, the yeast thing is easier to interpret because nowhere in Scripture is yeast used, at least in parables, as a good thing. In fact, uh, I think it's just... Back in chapter 12, yeah, back in chapter 12, in verse uh, 1, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, so you can go back to chapter 13. I only point that out because he uses the word yeast in a bad way. Yeast is a bad thing. Birds... In scripture, except for any reference to a dove, is also generally a bad thing with evil intent. Jesus says the kingdom of God is going to become this overgrown monstrosity that is going to be unusual in some way, and within it, perched in its branches, you're going to have birds that aren't a part of it, they're just going to pollute it, and yeast which is also seen as something evil, that is the kingdom of God in a bad sense. So what he's basically saying here is that there's going to be a corrupting influence within the church that you have to be aware of. He says, because not everything that is large is necessarily right. Some of it is going to have an element of corruption. Now, by that, what is Jesus referring to? Does he mean, you know, some people will be a part of the church and a part of the kingdom who have evil intent? Will he mean that there will be false teachers, some false teachers, a part of the kingdom work? Does he mean that there will be some false doctrine within the kingdom work? Does he mean that there will be some demonic influence within the kingdom work? The answer to all those questions is yes. He means a little bit of all that. Be on your guard. Be aware that just because it's going to grow into this monstrosity... There might as well be a part of it some corrupting influences. There's going to be some false teachers. There's going to be some false doctrine. There's going to be some demonic things that Satan's going to want to try to do to, you know, ruin churches and ruin people's lives. And there's going to be even some people with evil intent who don't come just to sing and worship and study their Bibles. They're actually coming with ulterior motives. It's true. I know not here. I'm talking about the Baptist Church. But anyhow, I just mean in general... I just mean in general, in churches in general, in the kingdom in general. Is there some false doctrine within the kingdom? Yeah. Are there some false teachers within the kingdom? Yes. There's all these kinds of things that are perched in the branches, which means we have to be intentional. We have to be very wise. We have to be very discerning. I say this once in a while. And I mean it sincerely. Don't take what I say for granted from the pulpit. You go home and read your Bibles. You better make sure that what I'm saying is true. You're intelligent people. Don't be spoon-fed everything you see on TV and think it's right doctrine. It's not. Don't be deceived just because somebody has published a lot of books and have a TV program and they fill stadiums. They may not necessarily be teaching right doctrine. I could go on there, but I won't. Verse 22, check this part out. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? (laughs) Who are these people (laughs) asking all these questions? You know, they're just like, well, anyway, Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, well, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of god indeed there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last so a couple of quick bullet points on this uh, section here he talks about the door the door represents the way to be saved and uh, he's using this language to tell us a little bit about the way to be saved And uh, the first thing that he says here is that the door is narrow. The door is narrow. He said that in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that there's not multiple ways to get to God. That is a lie that you hear all the time. Every path, all paths lead to God. No, they don't. There's only one path that leads to God. It's through Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus said it in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life among many. He said, I'm the, it's a direct article, the, I'm the one and only. And this is difficult for some people. This is where skeptics and critics of Christianity have a big argument with us, because they say, this is so wrong for you guys to say that there's only one way to be saved, That there should be, you know, multiple ways, and you're so narrow-minded. Now, listen, Jesus is going to go on to be very inclusive in this story, but we have to first understand the door is narrow. There is one way. What I chuckle about is how people who are skeptical about Christianity and the narrowness of the way to be saved, and the problem that they have is it's so restrictive with the rules. And it's so restrictive with the directions, how to be saved. You say Jesus is the only way, and it's so narrow. I chuckle because I think to myself, but everybody else who is skeptical of that loves rules and directions when it serves their own purpose, okay? They would never want to live in a world that is as open as what they think Christianity should be. What do I mean? Let's just say that you have... Uh, diabetes. And let's say you're insulin dependent. Okay, You have to take your insulin every day. Or maybe you have a problem with your thyroid and you have to take Synthroid every day. Well, what would happen if you go to your pharmacist one day and you're there to get your insulin or you're there to get your Synthroid and the pharmacist looks at you and says, you know what? You know, you've been coming here for years. (laughs) Uh, Today, it's going to be grab day prescription. What? Yeah, grab day prescription. I got a grab bag here and I just want you to reach in you don't need the insulin. I've got some other pretty pills in the bag here. Just go ahead and pull out whatever you want. You've been looking at the guy like, you're, you're nuts, right? I, I need my insulin. I, need, I just don't want to be grabbing something out of a bag. I have no idea what this is. You want rules. You want directions. You want somebody smart behind the counter to say, there's one prescription for you. You don't want somebody to say, all medicines lead to healing. No, I want my one way to be healed. You know, I want smart people. If I need surgery, I want somebody smart who knows what they're doing. I don't want somebody say, all doctors. Really? I, I don't know. I want somebody who actually knows what they're doing before you cut open my body. I don't want you looking at me saying, you know, while I was in there, I took out a lung just for the heck of it. If you decide one day, you know, I want to go to Mobile, Alabama. I want to go to Mobile, where people with three names and four teeth live. No offense to those of you from Mobile. But anyhow, if you decide, I'm just going to look up the address for Mobile, Alabama, my smartphone, and then Siri talks to you all roads lead to mobile (laughs) what you would get mad about that no give me the direction and the right way this is the way I need to go let's say that VDOT decided one day we're going to just make all roads you just drive however you want on whatever side of the road you want now you'd like that for like a minute (laughs) until you see headlights coming your way now all of a sudden you're going to be the biggest advocate for yellow lines I want you to stay in your lane and I don't want you to bother me. And now when it comes to things related to eternity, all of a sudden, the people who function every day relative to rules and regulations and directions and strict understanding of certain guidelines, all of a sudden now they want Christianity and eternity to be random and open in all paths. No, Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm just thankful that he made a way for me. Jesus is the way, but I'm thankful that he made the way for me. The door is narrow. But then also, he tells us here in this passage, that the door will not stay open forever. He says there in verse 25, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, then you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. And it's this picture of of people who don't make an effort to respond to the love of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, the door is narrow. There's a way to be saved here, but you, you have to recognize that there's only one way. It's a narrow door. And he says, that door's not going to stay open forever because there's going to be a day of reckoning and accountability. And the owner of the house is going to get up. And he's going to shut the door. And you're going to start banging on the door. And it's kind of the same picture. Remember when Noah built the ark? And the Bible says it took him, when you do the math together, it took him about 120 years to build the ark. And during that time, people mocked and scorned. And then there came a day when God shut the door and eight people in all were saved. And everybody else on the outside was all bothered about it. But there was a day when the door was shut. The door had been open for 120 years for as many as wanted to come and be saved and rescued. But because they didn't believe, they mocked and they ridiculed. And then the day came when the door was shut. Jesus says in a similar way, there's going to come a day when the door is shut. It won't stay open forever. However, he adds there, he says, as a result, there's going to be judgment. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But he says in verse 29, But people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Number three, the door is open to all. Jesus talks about how on that great day, though, there's going to be people from all over who will be there feasting at the table with the king. This picture of our ultimate heavenly reward and feasting with the Lord Jesus. And so he says, Though the door is narrow, it is open to all and will be enjoyed by many who come from all corners of the globe to receive eternal life. So make every effort to enter through the narrow door, verse 24. And indeed, he says there in verse 30 that those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. People who who think got it all together may not have it as together as they think, and others who come humbly to the Lord who are kind of in the back of the line, just saying, Lord, just have mercy on me. Those are the ones who will be first and seated around this table.
0: The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.
1: That you've got no place to go But still you know